and welcome to the latest episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. I'm Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, the publisher of Health and Safety Matters. We'd like to thank our sponsors for this episode of the podcast, which is the Health and Safety event, which takes place on the 22nd and 23rd of September at the NEC in Birmingham. And you can register to attend their event at www healthandsafetyevent.com. If you want to find out all the latest health and safety news, please do visit our website, which is hsmsearch.com. And as you'll know, this podcast comes out fortnightly on a Monday. So as always, we start off with the news, and I thought I'd start off with the prosecution this week. As many of you know, prosecutions have been a bit few and far between at the moment for health and safety due to the current COVID-19 pandemic. But a really big one came out, which was a 1.1 million fine after an engineer fell from a ladder. A London-based relocation refurbishment company had that fine after a worker was seriously injured during a fall from height. An engineer was testing a sprinkler system for leaks on a site in Hemel Hempstead. He climbed onto an internal roof and was inspecting the leak from an extension ladder. The ladder slipped away from him and he fell almost three metres into the gap between the internal roof and the external wall. The worker suffered blood loss, amounting to about half of his bloodstream. He required a blood transfusion, needed 14 stitches to his head and also sustained fractured vertebrae and soft tissue damage. This obviously led to an investigation by the Health and Safety Executive who found that it was reasonably practical measures had not been taken to prevent a fall from the internal roof for both the engineer and other contractors working on the roof. The investigation also found that Modus Workspace Limited had failed in its duty to protect these workers and obviously this particular contractor. And as a result, as I mentioned earlier, Modus Workspace Limited, who are of the Greencoat Place in London, were found guilty to breaching Section 3.1 of the Health and Safety at Work Act after a five-week trial. The company is fined £1.1 million and ordered to pay £68,116 in costs. You know, this is a big fine, pretty obvious for all to see, and I think it's particularly prevalent that we share this now, because as I said at the start, there isn't a whole lot of prosecutions. The Health and Safety Executive is prioritising major cases and, you know, trials haven't always taken place recently. And you can see just how big this fine is and this case is uh, by the fact that it, you know, carried on during this pandemic rather than being uh, delayed. So you can obviously see plenty more prosecutions that we do on the Health and Safety Matters website, which is hsmsearch.com. But once again, it comes back to the biggest single killer in the UK for health and safety incidents is still worker height. So once again, you know, a terrible incident there for, for a person suffered, you know, serious injuries. And uh, it's, yeah, it's good to see the HSC is still taking enforcement action even during this time. So the other story that I want to go into now before we bring in our first guest for the day, which will be IOSH Chief Executive Messenger, is I want to talk about something from the HSC. CNI, they've launched a new construction campaign. So that's a health and safety executive in Northern Ireland. And this HSENI construction team has launched a new internal falls, a preventable campaign. So this follows on nicely from the prosecution we just said, and it's aimed at sending out a clear message to the construction industry. As I said a moment ago, falls from height remain one of the biggest causes of death, disability or injury in construction and are a great concern for HSENI. In fact, in the latest statistics from HSENI, show that Northern Ireland's construction industry has had five fatalities since January 2020 as a result of falls from height. Three of these fatalities occurred from falling inside a building when under construction. And this highlights the critical importance of providing internal fall protection when working at height. 
So HCNI has put out some guidance on this and said internal fall protection must be used when carrying out the following activities. Stripping, dismantling and refurbishment of roofs, installing joists or roof trusses, dismantling or installing roof sheets and side panelling on commercial buildings, fixing battens or tile supports and roof tiles, installing concrete floor slabs or stairs, working near or over fragile services and working adjacent to voids in the floor and roof. HSE&I has also created new material for their internal force campaign, which include a poster and short video. And they're pleading with the industry to help promote this material, which is obviously what we're doing right now. And you can see these posters and this video on our website. You can go to hsmsearch.com and check the news section, or just use the search box on our website for HSE&I and it'll, it'll come up. But I think just rounding off on that news story, there's um, a list of recognised methods of internal fall protection that can be hired and purchased throughout Northern Ireland, and the HSCNI has listed that. And that includes proprietary decking systems, birdcage scaffolds, safety trellises, boarding out the inside of a roof using timber, safety nets, inserting airbags, beanbags, or soft landing systems, and harnesses should be used as a last option and only by workers who've been trained in their use. So I wanted to focus on work at height and then obviously falls from height in the start of this news segment because with that big prosecution and it led on naturally to you know this really important campaign by HSE NI. So as I said, our first guest on this episode of the podcast, we're delighted to be joined by IOS Chief Executive Bev Messenger. I sat down with Bev earlier today and here's what she had to say. Hi Bev, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Well, obviously it's a very difficult time at the moment in the middle of this COVID-19 epidemic and I also have been hard at work on this and, and I've spotted that you've been right at the forefront of giving your take on how people can return to work safely. What is IOSH's opinion on how people should return to work safely? Well, I think our members absolutely recognise the role that they have to play in, in, in bringing back the economy, really, and the central role they have to business in enabling you know, people to go back to work. Um, I think for too long we've been seen as sort of compliance and control and what you can't do. And I think what the COVID crisis has done is put us in a position of being seen as an enabler. And I think recovery and the recovery of business is absolutely central to that, to see how we can safely bring workers back into the various workplaces, obviously ensure that we do all the necessary checks and balances and the proportionate risk assessment on the environment um, to make sure people are safe and well but actually you know as I bring business back up and make sure that we can do that in the most safe and effective way I think we've we've really been able to demonstrate through all of this as I say our central role to corporate decision making um, and I'd like to see that really continue through the recovery phase I mean there's there are a whole range of, of technical issues to be considered which will come out of those detailed risk assessments and, and control measures from you know, social distancing, how do we maintain that? Because it's obviously been a critical part of um, the nation's response to controlling the virus through to, you know, PPE that's required, um, 
a whole range of you know health and safety um, activities which will support people getting back into work and so there's a really technical aspect to this but there's also that centrality to business about making sure that the health and safety of the workforce is considered in the round so that um, business gets back up to speed very quickly. But I certainly can appreciate as a business owner you know the difficulties and the concerns you have to put them ensuring that your staff are safe but I do agree with you um we need to do everything that we can to get the economy restarted and obviously there'll be a number of your members that have been furloughed in their employment and getting people back to work is a priority as long as it as you say is done in a safe way so I guess my question for you is how has IOSH been helping its members get through this uh, COVID-19 epidemic? Well, we, we very quickly um, were able to, to mobilise ourselves as an employer, as a business into remote working. So within the space of two working days, we were all able to um, work remotely. And we did that early. We did that before the, the government PM's announcement because we, again, were concerned about the health and safety of our own workforce. And the investment we've made in, in technology meant that we could do that seamlessly. We didn't lose any service to members at all. And then what we quickly did was prioritised our activities so we paused things that were no longer you know vitally important in the current crisis and we ramped up all of our activities to support members because we knew that they would look to their professional body for advice guidance and support during during the current period so we've gone big time on producing advice and guidance um technical information. You will have seen, I'm sure, that we've hosted a very successful series of of webinars uh, on all various aspects of of the COVID crisis and all the different facets. We've worked globally with our, you know, we've got really strong relationships with the World Health Organization, with CIPD, with um, uh, the IOD, um, to bring a wide range of of experts to these webinars to, to give our members the most relevant up-to-date advice and information and guidance to be able for them to take that away and then apply it in their own workplaces. We've had 11,000 participants from over 100 countries. So, you know, not only, you know, our UK membership, our global membership has benefited from from the um, from the work that we've put in because obviously it's a global pandemic and every country that we've got members in has been having this virus um, to deal with. You know, I remember when IOSH got its chartered status, um, which was a big achievement. And IOSH has seemingly just grown and grown and grown. And there won't be many people listening to this that aren't familiar with IOSH. But it, let me ask you this question. If you're not a member of IOSH, why should you become one? And how many members have you got currently, roughly? So we've got about 48,000 members in about 135 countries. Um, and we're, we're very, very proud of that. We're proud of the loyalty that our members are showing, showing us do, you know, during the current crisis. And I think the added value that we bring is that level of expertise, guidance and support to the profession. Lots, lots of health and safety um, professionals are often on their own in business. They are not working in big teams and therefore they don't always have a sounding board. They don't always have an immediate boss to go to who's got technical expertise. So we provide a whole raft of research information, technical guidance. Uh, we input to legislation. We make sure the profession's voice is heard uh, at you know, government levels when they're producing um, legislation and guidance. And there's a huge camaraderie and networking um, uh, community. You know, we've got hundreds of volunteers who, who put time in to branch activities, to make sure that there is a real network of activity to support people doing their, their daily 
their daily jobs. Um, I think, you know, the standard that we have, as you say, we're the only chartered body uh, as an OSH professional. So our rigour around our membership is really important so that as an employer, people understand the brand and they understand the qualification process that people have to become chartered or, or fellows. So I think there's a real pride and distinction about being an IOSH member. And it's been fantastic through the last sort of 10 weeks or so to see people doing their CPD, maintaining their skills, and also still going through that chartered process. So it's lovely to see uh, certificates still going out to people to say they've become chartered um, during the current crisis. So we know we've got a very well motivated um, um you know, group of professionals, and they they want to give of their best to to, to business, uh, and like I say, I, we see ourselves very much as central to 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 that to that proposition. So it's obviously Irish's seventy fifth anniversary. So rather than looking back, let's look forward. What what's next for Irish? What's your vision for the future for the association? I mean, we do, we do want to stop and look back. We want to see the development of the profession over 75 years and the advances we've made in the workplace to protect people's lives and protect people's working environment. And I think that shouldn't be overlooked. But obviously, yes, we do want to look forward to the next 75 years. Um, and some of the things that I've been talking about already, um, the, the expertise that we bring to business being heard at the corporate top table for decision making, our role not only in safety but in health uh, needs to be, you know, really recognised. That we've got that wider contribution to business resilience and business continuity, and that you know the the workforce being safe and healthy is is absolutely fundamental to to good business and to productivity and profit. Um, and I think we'll see through this recovery phase, you know, the real added value that um, the OSH profession will bring. And I think what we need to do as a professional body is to support that every step of the way. So, you know, the relationships that we have with business, we want to, to continue to promote. We want to give members all the, uh, the expertise that they need and feel very proud to be part of, of the profession that's, that's so fundamental to the world of work. So what do you think is likely the biggest challenge facing uh, OSH professionals and your members moving forwards? Well, I guess, you know, the immediate crisis is, is, is sharply in focus, isn't it? It's, it's about getting recovery back. So getting as many businesses back up and running quickly, uh, safely, um, and ensuring that, um, you know, we don't have a second wave. Uh, and the part that they have to play in that in the workplace is is really really important because you know this is you know this is a, a global pandemic and is going to you know we're in a, a global economic crisis and I really think that OSH professionals have you know a health and safety responsibility to the workforce but they have an absolutely I know I keep banging on about this but I think it's because it's so important a central role to to bringing business back up uh, and doing that in a safe and responsible way so that the workforce remain healthy and productive and we can get business back on its feet and I think that's that's going to be an immediate challenge but the the depth of the recession means that that's going to be a challenge for some months and potentially years to come. Well Bev I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to speak with us but if people want to find out more information on IOSH or how to become a member where should they go to find out more information? 
obviously the website's the the obvious place to go to iosh.com and all the information's there on what we do as a professional body we've got coronavirus dedicated pages and there is heaps and heaps of free resources and materials there that you can access um so i would encourage people to do that because we're all in this together Now for the final couple of news stories of this episode of the HSM podcast, I want to focus firstly on a fire safety related story. And that's the latest figures released by the Home Office show the number of fire related fatalities in England have reduced by 10%. These figures cover the year ending 2019 and include statistics on all incidents, fire related fatalities and casualties from fire and the number of incidents attended by the fire and rescue service in England. And these have actually fallen by 4%. And the number of fires attended has fallen by 12%. In terms of other key findings in these statistics, fires accounted for 28% of all incidents attended by the fire and rescue service. And false alarms were 41%, unfortunately. And 30% of incidents were non-fire related incidents. There's also been a 5% reduction in fatalities associated with dwelling fires. The National Fire Chiefs Council has added that the figures should be viewed against the hot and dry conditions that we witnessed in 2018. And there was a large spike in outdoor fires, um, as I'm sure we'll all remember. Roy Wilshire is the chair of the National Fire Chiefs Council, and he's actually welcomed the findings. But he has warned that now is not the time for complacency, especially during the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, in a quote, Roy Wilshire said, while I'm pleased to see the reduction in the number of incidents attended, it's absolutely vital that we do not become complacent. Fire and rescue services are working in unprecedented times. At this stage, we do not know how COVID-19 will continue to impact our communities and the future numbers of these types of incidents. As you, many of you will probably know, there's been a consistent drop in the last 10, 15 years, the number of fire-related fatalities, thank heavens, and these statistics are published annually. You know, they, they used to be done by a different government department, but the Home Office has been responsible for a number of years now for the Fire and Rescue Service. Now, some of you will know that we actually have another podcast that I'm part of, which is the Fire Safety Matters podcast, and we go into this in a bit more detail in, in another episode that we've done. So if you'd like to listen to the Fire Safety Matters podcast, I'm part of it, and it's hosted by Brian Sims, who's the editor of Fire Safety Matters, and you can actually see all of the latest um, fire safety news on www.fsmatters.com. So if you'd like a copy of the magazine when it comes out four times a year you can get that for free or, or our weekly e-newsletter just by registering on the website but definitely check out in itunes youtube spotify the fsm podcast now i want to just go on to a final news story before we bring in our final guest for the day we actually conducted hsm conducted a covid19 survey and i know obviously this podcast this week is focused quite heavily on COVID-19, which I'm sure you'll understand why, because we're all still working from home and, and the move towards people going back into the workplace that is slowly happening. And HSM partnered with IHASCO. And if you don't know who IHASCO are, they're a provider of health and safety and HR compliance e-learning. And we conducted a survey with a number of UK health and safety managers to establish the full impact of the government lockdown on staff and employees. It felt like a really important thing to do. And I want to share some of these results with you. The survey revealed that working from home has been an overall success, primarily due to careful planning, although a number of concerns have been raised with regard to distractions. And I think we all understand that. I mean, I... 
I always used to prefer working from home because I actually find I get less distraction, less people talking to me. Um, other people find, oh, you know, I might be watching the TV or doing my ironing or whatever it might be that they easily get distracted by pets. Now, I do know from working from home now, it's been incredibly tough, actually, because I've got twin eight-year-old children and I love them to death, but um, it's not easy when they want to dip in and out of a, uh, a conference call. And right now I'm doing it while, while they're asleep. I'm recording this podcast so they can't actually interrupt me. But yeah, distractions were something that was raised. And those that took part in the survey ranged from health and safety managers, consultants, directors, facilities coordinators, to, you know, to safety officers, operations managers, and senior safety practitioners. So the key findings, which is probably what you want to know, is 96% of employers actively encourage home working, this survey found. Childcare is a major issue for employers and staff working from. I think I just covered that one <laughs> on a personal level. 79% of employers are maintaining health and safety training for home workers. 71% of respondents working from home say productivity has remained the same or has increased. And 84% of respondents are looking to use online courses to continue their professional development. So you can see the full results of this on the HSM website, which I said a couple of times before, it's hsmsearch.com. Do take a look at it. And thank you for all of you that took part in it. And there was a lot of you that took part in it. It's really interesting findings. On a personal level, it's helped me too. From the business that we run, you know, we have 28 staff and we've been following, just like all of you have, very closely the government guidance to see how and when it's safe to return people to work. You know, we, we've made the decision based on the government guidelines that we will only open our office from the 1st of June to those people who feel they can't do their job properly at home. And we've had to do a huge risk assessment on it, as you'd expect. And we're certainly not encouraging people to come in, but it's those that feel they can't do their work. And we've had to take a number of steps um, following on from the government advice to make that... Um, safe for people to come to but from what we've heard i don't think any of our staff are going to come back which personally i'm i'm happy with i'd rather than be working safe at home and as you'll see on the hsm website we've done a number of stories everyone from iosh to the british safety council to double irsm all talking about the need to get things right the government to set clear guidance on how people can return to work safely and obviously spoke to Bev Messenger earlier in this podcast and we touched on that. So this is a really live issue to all of us. It's a really strange world that we're living in, unprecedented times. And this survey is had some really honest and interesting feedback. So if you're an employer, if or even if you're an employee, do, do take a look at the, the survey results. We'll also publish them in the next issue of HSM that will come out in July. So, yeah, do take a look at it. It's, it's worth seeing. So I want to move on now to our final interview for the day. And I'm delighted that we're joined by Alan Franklin. Alan is the CEO of Alchemist. I sat down with Alan earlier today and here's what he had to say. <music> Morning, Alan. How are you? Very good, Mark. Uh, thanks for inviting me onto the podcast. Now, thrilled that you could join us. Now, I'm pretty confident you're going to say these are very challenging and different times right now. The nature of your business is uh, really changed. How are you coping in the current uh, COVID-19 epidemic? 
Uh, well, yes, uh, challenging times, that, that's an understatement, I guess. Uh, uh, well, as uh, Alchemist specialises in risk management uh, in the HSEQ arena, uh, we were better placed than most to react as the situation uh, unfolded. But I have to say, uh, our business continuity plan was tested to the limit, uh, but we managed the transition to home working with very little disruption to our customers. I'm pleased to say. Quickly, the priority came on to the monitoring of the physical and mental well-being of our staff throughout this period, because it's a big change for, for our employees. And we've been finding new and increasingly creative ways to maintain engagement and uh, keep morale as high as possible uh, during this period. We've certainly had to take more of our own advice than usual recently. Uh, I'm pleased to say it's worked. And uh, whilst, like many businesses, you know, cash receipts have fallen and we've seen a, a drop off in trading, we are operating all services as close to normal as you could expect. And we're now really focusing our efforts on helping each of our 40,000 customers to get through this crisis as best as they can, because each of them have their own unique challenges. It seemed pretty timely to invite you to be on, you know, with everything that we're going through right now, risk management is, is massively important. So those that aren't familiar with Alchemist, can you tell us a bit more about what services you provide? Sure. So, yeah, as I say, you know, risk, we're a risk management business focused on health, safety, environmental and quality disciplines. Uh, and in our business, we talk about helping our customers to become safer, healthier and stronger. We have many strings to our bow and we help organisations to manage their risk in relation to people, properties, hazardous substances and the supply chain. We employ uh, subject matter experts in all of our fields. So we've got chemists and toxicologists, HR experts, health and safety experts. And we take that subject matter expertise and we drive it through as technology as much as possible. So we deploy our solutions through a technology layer, but it is informed by experts. So we enjoy solving detailed technical problems and uh, pride ourselves on offering our customers a mix of service and technology solutions. We serve around uh, 40,000 customers across the UK and North America, uh, and we work across a wide range of sectors. So from energy to manufacturing to construction, retail and FM, and we cover organizations of all sizes. So we serve over 3,000 sole traders, as well as numerous FTSE 100 and multinational organizations. And as you might imagine, we've been far more hands-on with those customers than, than usual. I think it's probably just as well that you like difficult challenges, because right now, I'd imagine how you're offering solutions to them has changed. So I guess the question I have for you is, based upon many people now being forced to work from home, and I know there's a general reintegration back into the workplace. How has that changed how you've offered your services? Yes, that, that has been interesting. Uh, our, our business, The business that was most disrupted was our Alchemist Isoquar business. So so we, we operate, uh, Isoquar is a, uh, a UCAS accredited certification body, uh, delivering audits to standards such as ISO 9001. And, and of course, traditionally, that is an on-site visit. And the future for that looked very bleak as we, we went into lockdown. But I'm pleased to say that UCAS were able to amend uh, working practices to allow remote auditing. And we were able to very, very quickly transition our business model in order to deliver those audits remotely. So those customers that needed to be recertified to their standards to, you know, in order that they can maintain servicing their customers, we were able to deliver that solution quickly. We were first to market with the remote auditing solution. A lot of our services are delivered remotely anyway in, in other parts of our business, so over the phone. And as I said earlier, you know, the technology aspect of, of our service delivery is significant. And of course, home working doesn't affect uh, technology as much. So we've had to adapt. You know, we've listened to our customers 
um, but we managed to change the model to make sure that they, they've maintained a con- continuity of service. So when we look ahead to the future, what have you got next in your product or service pipeline? What, what, what's next for Alchemist? Well, we're, we're, we're listening very closely to our customers. Uh, we, we're, we're all coping with a very new challenge, COVID-19, uh, and the impact of the measures to contain it. Uh, is something that everybody's grappling with. Our 40,000 customers have got unique challenges and we're listening to that. And we have built a product that hopefully will uh, help organizations to get their businesses back online uh, and as close to normal working practice as possible. So we're in the middle of launching that at the moment and I'm really excited about it. That sounds like a really important tool. Can you tell me a bit more about it, Alan? Sure, of course. I think when when, in, when companies are thinking about going back to work, it's really important to put employees at the forefront of their minds. Their physical and well-being is non-negotiable. A lot of employees will be reticent about going back to the workplace, so putting them first is really important. So we've created a tool informed by all of the experience that we've gathered uh, over the last few months in dealing with COVID-19. So we've got a technology tool that allows you to keep track of all of your employees outside of the work for workplace, whether they are furloughed, isolating, shielding, uh, or just remote working, keeping track of them, their mental and physical well-being, performing risk assessments regularly on them is really important in order that you understand which of those employees are eligible to come back into the workplace. And our tool caters for that completely. Secondly, then, you need to create a safe working environment. We're hearing a lot about back-to-work risk assessments. And again, part of the technology solution here holds the hand of employees through the entire back-to-work risk assessment process for COVID-19 with pre-populated content and best practice practice workflows. So once you've got your eligible employees and you've got your safe working environment due to the robust risk assessments, we then need to think about, you know, is your supply chain robust? And, And what single points of failure might you have in the supply chain that might constrain the business? And also you'll be looking at exposure to new customers. And again, with the Alchemist Safe Contractor, we run essentially an online marketplace that helps suppliers and customers meet. And lastly, then, in terms of winning new work and looking to thrive into the long term, demonstrating your business resilience is going to become increasingly important. We've all worked through business continuity plans informally or formally over the last few weeks. Actually, why not get some recognition for that? So getting a certification standard that demonstrates your business resilience is going to be increasingly important to customers in the future. And therefore, by gaining one of those standards now, you get to stand out from the crowd and help support your business. Alchemist Isaquah can help you with that. So we've got a whole range of solutions here to support businesses, not only survive, but thrive in the long term as lockdown lifts. So Alan, there'll be a lot of people listening to this who'll be interested in the solutions that you offer. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, if they go to our website, alchemistgroup.com, or they can find us on LinkedIn or Twitter. Uh, if you reach out to us, then we'll be cl- delighted to be in touch. Alan, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. As I said at the start, this podcast comes out fortnightly on a Monday. And in our next edition, we'll be joined by guests from RSM and also She Software. Now, if you'd like to get any questions to either of our guests, please do use the hashtag 
HSM Podcast. You can do that on Twitter or LinkedIn. Please do also spread the word about this podcast. Please do give us a good rating on iTunes, Podbeam, YouTube, and leave your comments on there. Obviously, we're also available on Google Play. Now, if you'd like to get all the latest health and safety news, you can do so on the HSM website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. And you can also sign up to get a copy of HSM Magazine for free six times a year or our twice a week e-newsletter. There's an obvious registration option on there. Please do use it, and we'd love to send out a copy of the magazine and e-newsletter to you. So I'd like to take this time to thank the Health and Safety event for being our sponsors once again of this podcast. And for those of you that don't know, the Health and Safety event takes place on the 22nd and 23rd of September 2020 at the NEC in Birmingham. And you can register for your free pass at www.healthandsafetyevent.com. Dot com. Thanks for taking the time to join us this week and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. Music.